Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. What were you up to in 1971? What was I doing in 1971? Yeah, you know where we were? We were in Iowa. My dad just took a job at the University of Iowa to coach his secondary. Yeah, that's when we lived in that little house on Tallrin Court. And uh, we didn't have a car half the time. Sometimes we had a car, sometimes we didn't. You know, so when we had a car, we got a ride to school. We didn't have a car, we were walking, you know. That's when dad would say, who's got it better than us? We'd say, everybody with a car, you know. (laughs) No, you don't understand the value of walking. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'd never heard that before. (laughs) An answer other than nobody. Everybody Everybody that's got a car. Everybody that's not walking and freezing their ass off in Iowa right now, Dad. (laughs) Have you ever had a time in your life when you were old enough to drive that you were somewhere and didn't have a car. Like in Texas, when you went to school there, did you not have a car or did you have a car? I did. I had a car. I did. In fact, it caused an issue in what my life. What kind of car? Well, it caused an issue in my car? life. I had a, it was a Ford Explorer, right? I was actually a Mercury Mountaineer. Remember those? Uh, it was like a Ford Explorer, basically knockoff. But that got me in trouble, right? Because so I'm waiting for my my car to get there and it's moving day have i told you this it's moving day at texas okay i'm already the yankee northerner silver spoon guy right i've already been painted as that so now i get there and it's becoming day to move in aunt wendy's there my mom's there i got all this stuff to move and we got no car because we were expecting my car to be there right someone was shipping it down or driving it down okay and it wasn't there yet. So now I'm like, we're panicked because we're like, well, we got all this stuff to move into the dorm and we don't have anything to do. So we asked the hotel, hey, do you got a van or anything that we could use? Sure, sure, sure. It ends up being a limo bus. Like, have you ever seen a limo bus, right? Where it's like a a, a bus that's like kind of decked out and has like leather seats on the side and had a chauffeur. So I pull up. Here I am, Silver Spoon, Phil Sims' son, Yankee boy, and a thing that says limo bus on the side ends up having a driver. We don't even get to drive it. It has a full-time driver, and now this woman who is driving is helping us move our stuff into the dorm room, and we looked real bougie, and it caused me some issues. So that was my one story with not having a car for a little bit. That's pretty good. (laughs) I, I had stretches without a car, but there was no limo bus to get me from where I needed to go. There was a period of time when I was in college and I lived like two miles from campus and I did not have a car and I had to walk every day back and forth. Oh. It does build character to have to walk two miles I every day back and forth to where you're trying to go. But that was just for about that was just for about three months. So uh, now what makes it worse, Mike, with my story boy. is like there was a stand up bar in this thing. Right. So it was like way too nice. And then. They take pictures of us like, you know, the Austin American Statesman newspaper. They're all there. 
And like the first stuff of like first wave of let's bring stuff into the dorm, right? I'm kind of like sticking a hand out, whatever. The woman driver, the chauffeur, kind of grabs a heavy bag, and she goes, "Here, hold this." And it's a and it's a box of toilet paper. It's a you know just a thing of toilet paper, and that's the picture they took. So there I am. I'm there with toilet paper and the woman chauffeurs like this, like holding some big bag and they put me on the cover of the newspaper that way. So that's how my life started at Texas. And everybody called me limo for about the first five months I was there just because of that. <laughs> oh, why did it stick longer than that? All the upperclassmen. Hey, limo. Hey, I limo. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Limo. Uh, I love it. So as they were watching you, if, if Jack Harbaugh had happened to be in the vicinity and asked who's got it better than us, it would have been Yankee limo boy. Because <laughs> he's limo got a limo boy and he's, he's got, got a chauffeur. Us, yeah. And we hate him for it. <laughs> exactly. And we hate him. Right. We already hate him. We uh, don't even know him and we hate him because he's a Yankee with a limo. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, didn't, didn't exactly, you know, endear myself to the locals or the or the public that way. But, you know, hopefully over time I, they they gained a little trust and respect for me. Every time you said Yankee boy, I kept thinking of the scene in My Cousin Vinny where the local in Alabama was going to kick the Yankee boy's ass for yeah, $100. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and eventually, Joe Pesci catches him with an uppercut. And, uh, oh, that tricky Yankee boy. Look at him tricking him like that. <laughs> so, uh, before we get to yeah. the NFL news, okay. I saw something this morning, and I guess I didn't realize this was a thing. I thought this was just something that people did when they were really upset with the outcome of a game and they were just so upset they couldn't just deal with it. So they had to say they're playing the game under protest. There was a protest last night in the Blazers game. I don't know why. There have been actually eight successful protests yes. in NBA history. Right. Games played under protest. The last one was 2008. The Heat were granted a protest because Shaquille O'Neal was fouled out of a game against the Atlanta Hawks when he actually only had five fouls. The next time the two teams played, they replayed the end of the last game. The Hawks still won. But that's an example, the latest example in the NBA of a game being played under protest. I just thought that was like stomping your feet and saying we're playing under protest and nobody ever cared. It never actually worked. I didn't know it actually worked, although now I'm thinking of the Pine Tar game with George Brett. Yeah. I think they played that under I believe protest they did. and went back and finished that game right. after they he did. was ejected because the Pine Tar was like that far too high up the, the shaft of the yeah, bat. Yeah, right. No, I, 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 uh, I believe you're right. I think they did replay that game under protest. And, yeah, I, you know, I, every now and then a team throws it out there. I feel like it happens once or twice a year where – you know, they might file a whatever, a petition with the league and say, hey, that game's under protest and we'd like it to be reviewed. Uh, and you get reminded when it happens that, oh, yeah, it did, you know, happen, blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of aware of it. But, do you know, kind of what happened in the Blazers game last night to make them put it under I protest don't. or what was the, the kerfuffle here? Here it is. Oh, wait, uh, Pete, Pete is looking it up. I just saw the tweet that the Blazers played the game under protest and that there hasn't been a successful protest ah, there it is. in 16 years. Gotcha. I wonder, but what, what do you got, Pete? I'm, I'm looking for it well, now. Look Pete at the has sheets. The Blazers the, it's contend. called the rundown that we follow every day. Follow that. I was, <laughs> I was, I was Googling whether or not an NFL game has ever been played under protest. Oh, I can't remember it ever happening in the NFL. I don't, I don't know either. how you could ever resolve a protest in the NFL yeah. 
because it's not like you could ever reconvene. I guess the only way it would happen is if it happens early in the season between two teams in the same division who are going to play again later. But can you imagine finishing one game and then playing another? It's just it would never fly. No, There's no not. way to resolve a protest no. in the NFL. The Blazers contend that Coach Chauncey Billups, with a 109-108 lead, was clearly calling a timeout on the sideline before a referee whistled a double dribble on guard Malcolm Brogdon with 15.1 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Billups reacted angrily to what he believed was a failure to honor his timeout request. He was assessed two technical fouls, including a second after marching onto the floor to argue and was ejected in the final seconds of the game. So he's claiming he called timeout before a double dribble, and then he blew a gasket and yeah. got ejected, and that was that. Well, so. there'll be, they'll be there cameras have there. 15. I'm sure that show that. 15 Major League Baseball games have been resumed after a protest was upheld. 15. Wow. Yeah, impressive. You're right. It's uh, those two sports. They they can figure it out. Football. You're there's no way to figure that out. I mean, if there was ever a game ever that needed to be played under protest or redone or the last few minutes, it'd be that Rams Saints NFC Championship game from a few years ago. That certainly was worthy of protest type language or you know whatever lawyer talk there to where that 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 certainly justified it but that's the only one I can remember that would be you know that egregious or that bad where it had the fans going that crazy the 5 year anniversary of that game was just the other day we wrote something about it because the problem that existed that allowed that outcome in Rams Saints where there was an obvious and blatant pass interference call that was not made when Nikel Roby Coleman realized he was out of position, Tommy Lee Lewis coming out of the backfield, Roby Coleman sprints across the formation, slams into Lewis without regard to where the ball is. It was clearly, clearly pass interference. Remember, we had one year of pass interference calls and non-calls subject to replay review. It was a disaster right. because, frankly, frankly, the VP of officiating, Al Riveron, didn't quite know where the standard should be and it was shifting and it was changing and it was weird and they were micromanaging every instance of potential pass interference it almost felt passive aggressive by our river on like if you're going to make me do this i'm going to screw this up so bad you're going to wish you had never made me do this and if so it worked because by the next year <laughs> they got rid of it and we still have the same the same atmosphere the same rules the same procedures that we had when Ram Saints happened five years ago. And I guess that's fitting because it could happen again. In theory, there's no way to fix it if it happens within the rules. There's a way for somebody at 345 Park yeah, Avenue where they're better or whoever now. is in right. the building that day to yeah. say, drop the flag, drop, drop the, the flag, flag, drop yeah. the flag. Right. And we, we're, very, we're even more suspicious than it ever before that they do that. And I don't care as long as they get it right. I don't care about the procedures as long as they get it right. You want to violate the handbook on how you use replay assistant or booth umpire or 345 Park Avenue gets involved. I don't care as long as you get the calls right. Yeah, I'm with I you got there. no problem with right. breaking the rules if you're getting it right. No, I, I'm with you there. I think I, I'm all for it. If they got to listen to 345, get a little extra info. You know, they can see a replay. Maybe the referees haven't seen yet or whatever. I am. I'm all for that. My only problem with that a little bit is sometimes, you know, you want to go, wait, wait, why didn't they step in here? This one's obvious. What are they doing? And then, you know, they step in a few minutes later and they do it. And then there's another one to go, wait, I don't understand why they're not getting involved in this one. But th that's the only reason it's a little inconsistent right now, you know, but I I'm with you. I I'd prefer them to get it right. I don't care exactly what the procedures are written out exactly in their bylaws and all that. 
By the way, Bill Vinovich was the referee in that Rams-Saints game, NFC Championship for the 2018 season. He has been named the referee for Super Bowl 58. So yeah. you will see and hear him coming up in a couple of weeks. He was the referee for the Bucks lions game. Yeah, he and was I there. don't know I if you've noticed him. this. Yeah. Some, somebody pointed this out to me. At the end of the game, right. when the Lions were ridiculously yes not running the clock down take taking knees too early there's a point where jared goff flips the ball back to him and he he's like like what the hell are you guys doing yeah like you can see the gesture he gestures to the clock like what what is going on here and that that just i still can't believe I, I real i mean if, if i was todd bowles i would be very worried i'd get fired because if i owned a team frankly and a coach did what Todd Bowles did on Sunday and just conceded and forfeited our ability, slim as it might have been, to have a chance to try to win that game and advance the NFC Championship, I'd fire him for it. I don't think there's any coming back from that. To not, You have a timeout. They're grossly mismanaging the clock. They take a knee on third and 11 and make it third and 12, fourth and 12, excuse me, fourth and 12, 36 seconds. It's fourth down. Force him to do something. Kick a 49-yard field goal, pump the ball, go for it, whatever. You still have a chance to win the game. Crazier things have happened. They can't happen, though, if you don't set the stage for them to happen. He conceded when the game wasn't over. There was still a mathematical possibility, and we've seen it happen over the years. You never know unless you do it. I can't believe it. And some of the media covering the Buccaneers, is still, they're still – Upset. I, mean, I If I was a Buccaneers fan, I would be beside myself that we still had a chance, thin, slim chance, and Todd Bowles didn't take that time out. I can't believe it. The more I think about it, the, the angrier I get just because we all got robbed of what we, we don't know what could have happened. It could have been crazy. It could have gone to overtime. Who knows what could have happened? Well, I still can't yeah. believe he did uh, well, here, I can't here. believe the Lions did it. To create the scenario, and then I can't believe Bowles didn't take advantage. Well, I think that that's the thing. I have no problem with him originally not calling timeout and going it's over, right? I, I have no problem. Again, if it's played right, it's the, the ball, 133, they get it back. They snap the ball. He kneels it. It's 130. It goes down to 50 seconds, right? They snap the ball again. It goes down to 10 seconds, right? They let that. They Then they punt the ball, and we're going to be down to four or five seconds left in the game if they play it the right way where, and I have, so then Todd Bowles and his logic from that standpoint is okay. You're right. The game is over. Let's go home. It's all done. Maybe we'll get the ball at our own five yard line with four seconds left. All right. So there, I, I don't have a problem, but once you start to see them kneel the ball inadequately and going, Oh no, that's where you might want to jump in and start to go, wait, 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 hold on a second. They're, they're going to leave us 30 seconds, so hold on. Maybe we will. I will call the last time out. That's where I want to go, wait, look at the situation. They're kind of messing it up. Call time out. That, that is where I certainly would you know, question him. Uh, that, that I don't get. You're seeing the Lions are being stupid with it. And, Mike, I brought up on my podcast on Monday, I don't know. This would be a thing that I'd file away if I'm a head coach in the NFL. You know, oh, hey, game's over. Yep, we're not going to call that last time out. See if somebody messes it up a little bit along the way, thinking, hey, the game's over and we won't kneel it and bleed every second of the clock. And then you pull the all okie doke at the end of the football game. But, yeah, I hear you. He certainly deserves to be questioned from that, from that standpoint.
Oh, it's the old saying, when your opponent is dancing near the edge of a cliff, you just stand back and let it happen. And, and at some point, somebody on that sideline, somebody in his ear, somebody needed to say, coach, 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 coach. Hey, hey, we, we still got yeah. a timeout. Yeah. And there's 36 seconds left. And again, chances are slim. But we've seen block field goals. They happen. Could you imagine they, they try a 49-yard field goal and it gets blocked and returned for a touchdown? Yeah, and then I mean, I would be shocked if they kicked the field goal. All? But, yeah, I, because I don't think you kick the field goal for well, that reason, what you're what do, saying. What do you do, though? You punt the ball. Fourth and 12 from your 32. Yeah, I would. Okay, I would, you punt the ball. Yeah. They get it. At, yeah, right. You, so you get it at the 20 with 30 seconds left. Right, maybe. They had the ball. Hopefully they Remember that Hail Mary game? That. Right, right. Remember the Hail Mary? That's tough to do. You're kicking the ball from around the four. That's, that's going to be tough to keep it between the 20 and the 10 when you're that close. You know, we see that all the time. It just, it seems like it's, there's a sweet spot for getting the, they never talk about the coffin corner anymore. They used to call it the coffin corner punt. There's a sweet spot for, I think, maximizing that. It's just going to be hard to do like a pooch punt. Maybe that's what they would have done. The old Randall Cunningham, Ben Roethlisberger move. Right. Where Jared Goff takes the ball and shotgun and just punts it. Something and they like hope that. it rolls inside the five. But let's say they get it to 20. Bucks bills Thursday night game earlier this year. The Bucks got the ball back with like 21 seconds, something like that, on their own 20, and they got themselves in position for the long Hail Mary yeah. that almost – I mean, the, the chances of this even having an opportunity to be successful were slimmer than what the Bucks were in on, on Sunday against the Lions, and they almost, they almost stole this game from the Bills. So they tried there. That's what makes it weird. They tried there, and it almost worked. And Chris, Bulls just assumed they'd kick the field goal. So I mean, I'm with you. Is it 100? I'm you're, you're forcing the Dan risky Campbell thing is the field to make goal. a decision. Yeah, the risky thing is the field goal. Because what I you know, said, but, a block or the missed field goal. Now they missed the field goal. They they're in the in range to throw the hail mary. They don't have to do anything. So that's why it's a definite punt situation. Let the clock bleed out. Take your five, your, you know, your five-yard delay a game penalty. They probably decline it. Either way, you take it all there. And then, yes, you kick some sort of pooch punt or whatever or just knock it way out of bounds. And, yeah, it goes out at the 15-yard line. But you're going to be down if it's done right. It's going to be down to below 10 seconds. We're talking about six seconds left in the no. football game if they did it no, right. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, 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 no. Yeah, if they no. did it right. 100%. I mean, if they, if, they, if they did it right, right if they did it right. right you're right. right. If they did it right. right. But with 36 seconds left, because I saw somebody say yesterday, well, why would they just take another knee and let the clock run? I was like, no, there's a thing called clock stops on change of possession. So they, they were stuck. Once we get to that point, if Todd Bowles takes that timeout, the Lions are stuck. Dan Campbell, who thinks the game is over yeah. and is in celebration mode, all of a sudden has to make a pretty important decision. In not a whole lot of time, you know, and what, what based on what we know, of Dan Campbell, you, you, I think, I think I know what he would have done. He would have kicked the field goal. Yeah, got to be aggressive. I, We're going to kick the field goal. I hope We're not. The field goal. I hope we trust not, our kicker. I know. We have confidence. We have confidence. We're aggressive. We're going to kick the field goal, and it's a forty-nine yarder. They miss them all the time now. Just ask the Bills. So it's just such a weird thing because that game ends, and it's time for Chiefs Bills. And that moment was just kind of forgotten. It wasn't even noticed. In, in the moment, it wasn't even noticed. Yeah. It was one of those things where people were like, hey, what the, he what the hell? And I got a text chain of guys I've known since I was in grade school. And one of them was like, what the hell did the Buccaneers just do? Yeah. And one of my writers was like, what the hell did the Buccaneers just do? 
And, and, and so we wrote about it. I was in the car back from Detroit at the time. But I, it's one of those things that you more think about it, man, this is weird. It's just weird that you have a golden opportunity to possibly tie up a playoff game, a division around game, a berth in the NFC championship. And, and you just forfeit it. You just concede it. We're talking about games being played under protest. This is the exact opposite. This is just saying, oh, we still got a chance. Eh, what the hell? Let's go. It's, we, eh, it's probably, eh, we're probably not going to win. Eh, let's just go. I, I, I've never seen, we've never seen NFL protest, and I can't recall ever seeing that, especially in a playoff game where a coach just waves the white flag when there's still a real chance. You're giving somebody a gimme putt that's like seven feet. Not, th- not well, yeah, not, I, know, he waved the white inch. flag. He took the headset off, right? He was done, and then no one was like able to go. Hey, you know they're kind of messing this up. You sure you don't want to call the timeout? You know that that that's where you see him. You know, right. go ahead. What after they take the knee? Right. The, the, after you can see that. I've got. I've watched it like five times. Yeah. It's amazing how it all happens. Right. They take the knee, and off goes the headset with balls, but nobody grabs him. I mean, because you still could have said. If you realize it five or six seconds later, you still can take a timeout and have a chance. You, you still have 30 seconds when the Lions have to make a play. Anyway, yeah, I hear you. I just, I can't, I, if, if I was a Buccaneers fan, it would be pitchforks and torches time, storming the castle in Tampa Bay. I would be livid. I would be beside myself that we had a chance and you just didn't even, you didn't even roll the dice. Yeah, you're probably not going to roll snake eyes or whatever you need to roll for it to be a win. But it, it I, 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 I'm, I'm, and I'm upset that that we missed out on what could have been all of us as football fans a hell of a memorable moment. And I wonder what Baker Mayfield thinks of this. I know that you know he wants to go back and he could probably do the mental gymnastics to get through it. But he's got to be, you know, he's the ultimate competitor. He's got to be wondering what the hell did we do there. I'm surprised he wasn't running over to Todd Bowles saying timeout, timeout. Think of what Peyton Manning would have done in that situation. If head coach, could you imagine Jim Moore or Tony Dungy or Jim Caldwell or who were his other head coaches? John Fox, Gary Kubiak, any of his head coaches doing that? Peyton Manning's going to be right in his face. Peyton Manning's going to call the timeout himself, Chris. Yeah, I, I listen. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen. It, it's kind of funny that no one, you know, ran over there and hey, hey, coach, coach, coach. They they knelt, they kneeled the ball that last time. There's 37 seconds. You sure you don't want to call timeout right here? You know, it is. It, you know, you could you could sit there and, and fault everybody, but I think what happens is when they see the head coach pull the headset off, everybody pulls the headset off, and everybody kind of just sits there with that glazed look in their face, like, oh, it's over. I can't believe it. The season's over. And it seems like everybody, Todd Bowles included, you know, lost sight of the situation there because they just thought, yeah, amazing. okay, it Detroit, really I'll take it for granted. They're going to do this the right way. And then they didn't do the right way. And it kind of throws egg in Todd Bowles' face because of that, which makes it a little worse here. But, yeah, I, listen, I, I think it's fair to dissect the situation. And, you know, it's rare to see, I feel like, in those situations, like we said Monday, a coach not use all his resources just uh, and use that timeout regardless. You know, usually everybody does that just to make sure the fumbled snap doesn't happen or something like that. Last point on this, too, before we move on. Yeah. If the Buccaneers had called the timeout, if they had gotten the ball back down eight, if they had driven the length of the field, scored, got the two points, and then went on to win the game in overtime, I don't know if there's any coming back from that for Dan Campbell. Squandering a winnable moment, 
squandering a game that was over for the Lions. And for as long as they've been waiting to have a contending team, they had their ticket punched to the NFC Championship, and Dan Campbell gives it back. And that's on him. It's on Jared Goff. I mean, it's the same. It's even worse because they're the ones who, who allowed that to be situation. open. They right. Yes, they're lucky. They're lucky Todd Bowles didn't call the timeout. But the uproar in Detroit, I just don't know that any coach could come back from that if the Bucks had called the timeout. I mean, Dan Campbell has to be thinking, oh, man, we really we, – I dodged one there. I mean, what I did was dumb, and I got lucky that they didn't make me pay for it because all these fans that love me, they might have had a different opinion of me by the time they realized what I'd done. Yeah, I think he's referred to that, right? Didn't he say that? We kind of messed it up at the end of the game. He admitted we, it. We should have bled the it. clock. Bowles yeah. won't admit it. Right. Bowles won't admit it, but to his credit, Campbell will. Well, yeah, when you win, it's easier to admit, and you know nobody's worried about it. Oh, okay, hey, you messed up, Coach. Good luck this week in the NFC Championship game. Go Lions! Oh, my gosh, you're amazing. This is amazing. So it's easy for him to admit that. You know, he's playing with house money right now. He's like only second to God in the city of Detroit right now. And it's a close race. I mean, they're, they took a poll and like Campbell was, you know, just barely below God. So it's, 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 he's pretty, he's pretty awesome right now. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record for the United States. Unbelievable. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance. The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. Nick Sirianni would have done very well under such a poll in Philadelphia last year. This year, it's very different. He'll be meeting with reporters today. When he does, he'll be asked about his offensive coordinator vacancy because Brian Johnson reportedly will not return. The termination hasn't been announced of the first-year offensive coordinator. He had been quarterback's coach in 2022, the year that the Eagles made it to the Super Bowl, and Jalen Hurts was an MVP candidate. We don't really see a surprise here. We expected both coordinators to be gone. I had heard some rumblings that some of the play calling duties had been taken from Brian Johnson, but the Eagles thought it was a very bad look in the same year to have both of your coordinators that you hired to take over for two coordinators who got head coaching jobs lose authority during the season. So they kept that under wraps better than they kept Sean Desai losing play calling authority under wraps. But, uh, you know, we, we saw it coming. It's happened. And now, They have to find a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. And there's pressure on everybody now because if Nick Sirianni fails again with one or both coordinators, he will be out. Yeah. Right. This doesn't, this shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, Nick Sirianni, I feel like he he has to make this move. He has to make this move 
not, not only to get his locker room, the belief back in the game plan, schematics, all of that. He's got to make that move to save his own butt, probably in the eyes of the owner and all that, and kind of change the, the mojo and the trajectory of the offense there. I mean, come on. You know, that's where, hey, when you look at, like, that graphic we're talking about, right, and if you could throw that back up there, Pete and Christian, that would be great as far as the last two years of their offense. Hey, last year, we know, it was incredible. This year, when you look at it from this standpoint right here of, oh, 22 to 20, 2023, it's not that big of a difference, but it is that big of a difference because what's worse is really when you break it down, it yeah, they're kind of like had house money with what they did the first eight to ten weeks of the year as far as yards and you know points scored and total yards per play and the rushing. The problem is it got progressively worse as the year went on, and when we got into the last five to six weeks, and if you just broke that down, yeah, the, the, the statistics are dramatically worse, right, where it's not one of the top five, six, seven offenses in football. It's one of the worst in football almost in all categories across the board. So I think between that, the fact that there was no light at the end of the tunnel, it continued to seem to get worse. The quarterback they just signed to a $40 million a year contract got worse this year and everything around it. Uh, I was not surprised to see that, that Nick Sirianni and the Eagles moved on from Brian Johnson. And here's what's interesting about that, because Brian Johnson and Jalen Hurts yeah. have been friends for a very, very long time. Let's revisit last week when Jalen Hurts on locker cleanout day was asked the question of whether he wants Nick Sirianni back as the head coach. Here's what Hurts had to say. I said owners own, coaches coach, and players play. I don't. I answered that question the other day, and um, I don't know if uh, you asked me something the other day um, about, and I said, uh, what did I say? I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. I had no idea that was a thing. Um, so I don't see why why that wouldn't be the case. You know, we, we plan on fixing everything that we've we've done um, and growing together. Coach Sirianni, Brian, everyone. Brian, you mentioned Brian. So how does he feel about the fact that a guy that he had as much faith in as he had in Nick Sirianni mentioned Brian, same breath he mentioned Nick, but now Brian's gone. Brian's taken the fall. Brian's the scapegoat. That's what he might think. That's what he might feel. That's what he might believe. We don't know. We're not going to have access to Jalen Hurts again unless he's making the rounds at the Super Bowl. But I'd like to know how he feels about this move when they keep Sirianni. They fire his good friend, who was the quarterback's coach. He was part of the solution when things were going very right. well. Right. Now we have one rough year, and he gets thrown overboard. Yeah. We don't try to fix this. Why wouldn't we try to fix this? What and who are you bringing in? Who are you? Are you just bringing in anybody? Are you going to talk to me about who you're bringing in? I mean, this has the potential when you already consider that things feel dysfunctional anyway, and we don't quite know what the root cause of dysfunction is. We don't know who's pissed off at whom. This has the potential to blow up. That's why I wrote the item yesterday about the contract that Jalen Hurts signed last year. You would ordinarily think a massive contract like that, there's no way out. We're stuck, just like Russell Wilson. The Broncos are stuck. At least they were last year if they would have wanted out of it after a year. This is a contract that is easily tradable by the Eagles. If they had somebody who would want to take him on at three years and about $44 million per year. Now, I don't know that anybody's going to take on that contract at three years and $44 million per year, but it's very easy to trade. It's got 
relative to what we've seen from other quarterback contracts, you know, an $18 million cap charge you would take if you trade him, but it can happen. And, and look, I, it's funny. People lost their minds just because I pointed out it could happen. I'm not saying it should. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it could. He could say, I want out. This isn't a situation where the Eagles could say, we want to move, and they have a no-trade clause in the contract that would keep Hurts from blocking a trade to any team he didn't want to play for. But what, what if, when the dust settles on all the dysfunction, Chris, Jalen Hurts says, I want out. You fired my friend. Yeah. You hired an offensive coordinator I don't really want to work with. I want out. Trade me. The point is, they can't say to him, well, you know, the contract makes it impossible. It doesn't. The contract makes it very possible. No. Well, I mean, he's in the perfect spot. You know, like I've, you know, with the support he has around him, he's in the best, has the best supportive group in all of football. So that'd be hard for me to imagine him making a trade. I mean, the tush push, some of the quarterback design runs, what he does. You know, you know. Listen, you know me. That's why I fight about, fight against it sometimes. It's not that special. I go, hey, the hole's the size of a Mack truck. You know, whoa, the tush push. Everybody's back five yards. Whoop de doo. That's because of the Eagles' O line. They've set up a recipe for success around him where I can't imagine him ever wanting to leave. And listen, if he's going to say what he said, like right, players play. So he he's just playing. He's not talking to the like. If that's what, true to his word there. Right, he shouldn't be worried about who the high, the the owner and the head coach hire. Players play, so he just got to worry about that. Also, like I think that was like the weakest endorsement ever for an offensive coordinator. Oh, <laughs> remember what I said the other day? Like, listen, if I really wanted the offensive coordinator back, and I was in Jalen Hurts, I'd be like, man, what is this talk even about? I mean, what are you talking about? Brian Johnson's awesome. We were coach. great. The question was about Sirianni. Right. Okay. The but was about Sirianni, not Brian Johnson. Well, you bring it all up. You bring it all up right there. Like, what are we talking about? You go on. You don't go, uh, wait, what, what, you know, what I, I said the other day, I don't, I don't want to say it again. So, uh, like, that's not exactly an endorsement of anything there. That's what I would say. But I think, like, again, I know there's history here with Jalen Hurts, and he's known him since he was a little kid. Right. And Brian Johnson was the quarterback at the same school that Jalen Hurts dad was coaching at. So I'm sure it hits home on a personal level to a degree, too. But at the same time, I think Jalen Hurts is smart enough to realize, like, hey, it didn't work last year. You know, we were kind of a mess. I didn't play my best football. Right. I didn't feel like I had some of the answers I had under Shane Steichen. And you know me, Mike, too. I'm never always like a proponent of, hey, this guy's my buddy and he's my coach. I, I don't think buddies should be coaches. That's not the way it works. When the buddy's the coach, it becomes like, oh, I'm, yeah, sorry, I threw an interception. Oh, my, my bad, coach. My bad, my bad, buddy. Right. It's just that that to me is not always the correct pecking order a player needs to be pushed prodded play his best right you've heard me say that before and I think in a lot of ways this could be a good thing for Jalen Hurts as well it's all relevant because we saw what a disaster the Eagles experienced down the stretch yeah we don't know what ultimately was at the heart of it we don't know right what snapped and how good is the support system going to be next year what if A.J. Brown wants out Jason Kelsey retires it may not be as good. And what if they hire an offensive coordinator that Jalen Hurts has already decided isn't his cup of tea? It, it's just it's, – it's one of those things where, you know, you got all the different potential developments you're keeping an eye on. 
And I only say it because we've seen crazy stuff happen. We have to be ready for crazy things to possibly happen because we've seen crazy things happen before. And we were like, well, I didn't see that coming. Didn't know about that. Didn't think that could be a thing. Bottom line, if Jalen Hurts decides fresh start is needed for both and they start having the conversations, the, the toughest part of it is finding a suitor. If the team and the player decide time to go our separate ways, you got to find somebody who's willing to take on that contract. There's a lot of guaranteed money on the front end. There's a window of like 10 days from the start of the new league year, 10 days after that, before the option exercise deadline hits of like 38 million plus fully guaranteed. They need to do it then if they're going to do it. I don't think they are, but it's just something to keep an eye on because what we've seen is weird. And when weird things happen, they lay the foundation for where we weird things yeah, to occur. And I hear you. some I look, I didn't I didn't just I didn't just think of this on my own. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Somebody raised it with me and I was having the conversation on text and we started to talk about the various teams where he would be an upgrade. Here's just a few of them. Think about this. The Falcons, he'd be an upgrade over what they have. The Patriots, he'd be an upgrade over what they have. The Steelers, he'd be an upgrade over what they have. The Raiders upgrade. And if the Vikings lose Kirk Cousins, they got to go somewhere else for a quarterback. He'd be, be an upgrade there over Jaron Hall and Josh Dobbs. That's for damn sure. And you could throw the Seahawks in as well, depending upon who the new head coach is. You got Geno Smith, where you have an opportunity to get out of the contract, and you could bring in Jalen Hurts. If the new head coach decides, I think we could make things very special here with Jalen Hurts if he decides he wants out of Philadelphia and needs a fresh start. So I'm just saying it's something to watch, not saying it's going to happen, not saying it should happen. The only point is it's weird in Philly right now, and the contract makes it far easier than other big money quarterback contracts that we've seen. I agree that it's weird in Philly. We know that, right? I'd be shocked if Jalen Hurts doesn't want to stay there. Like we've talked, it's an all-star team, you know. Forget, I don't even care if Jason Kelsey retires. It doesn't matter. They got four basically other all-pros at offense alignment. Not pro bowlers, not whatever. Like all-pro caliber type of football players, right? Cam Jurgens is probably the only guy you don't put in that. Landon Dickerson is worthy of all-pro conversation. You know, like you said, the receivers outside, they're legit. Everything there for a quarterback would be like, hey, please, I'll play on that team. Please, please, please. Everybody in football would be like, oh, Jalen Hurts wants to leave. I can go there. I'll go there. I think that's what will ultimately happen here, and that's where I think it's like Jalen Hurts, he, hey, in a lot of ways, like I said, he should be happy this move was made. They weren't good. You know, He needs somebody to push him and challenge him, give him more answers, answers he didn't have this year. You know, that was part of the reason he didn't look as good as the way he wanted to look. You know, so I, I think this is something he should welcome. And then also on top of that, Mike, with all the talent I just talked about, anybody who's a viable, I'm looking to upgrade, become the next, you know, offensive coordinator for a football team, I'm a hot quarterback coach, whatever, man, uh, the, oh, I can go to the Eagles? What? I can go there and have that team with me right away. So they're going to have their pick of the litter here as far as people that are looking to be offensive coordinators and want that challenge because they're going to go, wait, damn, quarterback's really awesome. Oh, line's great. Rest of the team's really great. Let me work with that. That's a great place to start out. We know there's pressure in Philadelphia, but you know a lot of the meat and potatoes hard work is already done for you. Now you just got to game plan and do those type of things. Before I would ever take that job, I would want them to tell me exactly what happened last year. I would want to know 
what I'm fixing. What am I fixing? What made this go off the rails? You need to diagnose it. You need to come up with a treatment plan. I need you to have diagnosed it before I ever sit down for an interview to be your offensive coordinator. I need to know that you know what happened and that you have a plan for fixing it. And apparently, apparently Sirianni's figured it out because I can't imagine Jeffrey Lurie, the way he looked at the end of that game last Monday night, I can't imagine Lurie bringing Sirianni back if Sirianni didn't have answers when they met last week for what happened, why it happened, how it happened, and how they're going to dig out of it. But I want to know that if I'm whoever becomes the offensive coordinator. And they interviewed Cliff Kingsbury, according to Mike Garofolo of NFL Media. That hit last night. Cliff Kingsbury, the former Cardinals coach, now a special advisor at USC, interviewed for the Chicago Bears offensive coordinator job. Got a lot of people thinking, oh, they're taking Caleb Williams if they're bringing in Cliff Kingsbury. Worked with Caleb Williams last year. They didn't hire Cliff Kingsbury. The Eagles could. Kingsbury's available. And, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence right now as to how attractive that is because of how dysfunctional it was at the end of the season. But if you wipe away the dysfunction, it becomes a very attractive position, and clearly it was attractive enough to Cliff Kingsbury to interview for it. Yeah, I, I, I agreed. I, you know, I, I, again, I think as a coach, there's a lot of things there that you look at you know, that are on the field at least. Like you said, you're going to want some of the answers about what went on, what really, what, what's the – you know, structure of the organization, what added to the dysfunction this year. I hear those are legitimate questions, but I think most coaches from, you know, X's and O's, talent on the field, they're going to go, wow, you know, I'd like to go there and work with that group. I think it's going to position me, hey, Cliff Kingsbury, I can go there and have a top five offense, and then everybody's going to go, hey, I think he's a head coach in the NFL material type again. Right, so that's where I think a guy like Cliff Kingsbury jumps into that conversation right away because he recognizes that and goes, "Wait, this would be a great way to re- restart, jumpstart my career again to get me back to head coachville and making that big time money once again." Yeah, uh, you're right. You're right. And uh, strange as it would sound for Cliff Kingsbury, who was sub 500 in the NFL, sub 500. Well, that's Texas I question Tech that coach again. I question all of that. Like that's fair right. to question too. Like, right. what did he? How? What did he do to deserve to be now the offensive coordinator of the most talented offense in football? Right. Well, I mean, we we weren't sitting here whack like waxing poetically about the Cliff Kingsbury offense when he was at Arizona. We were going, damn, the whole league's caught on to it. There's not a lot there. What are they going to do? So, you know, again, what I would say to Philadelphia is, didn't you kind of just do the college experience? And we're going to go back to the college experience again? Oh, just spread the field. Spread the field. We have like four plays, but so what? Spread the field. We'll put our athletes in space. Yeah, that shit works in college. It, when, you're, when you're the coach of Oklahoma or somebody like that, where your players are way better than everybody else, it don't work in the NFL. We just saw it. The team with the most talent ran the, we're going to spread the field and basically run five plays, and they got their ass whooped at the end of the year. So that's where I would go to Philadelphia. Are you sure you want to go down that road? That, that was what I would question. A viewer has suggested, as offensive coordinator of the Eagles, a yeah. guy who has been offensive coordinator of the Eagles in the past, Frank Reich. Better I, known as Frank Reich. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> I, I like, hey, but, but if Frank was, would be willing to take that job and deal with that or whatever, but yeah, I'm, I'm a believer in Frank's offense, right? I mean, of course, Sirianni learned a lot of what he learned from Frank Reich, you know, and hey, Sirianni's got to start getting involved in the offense more, you know, you know, you know, I'm a believer in that. Hey, I became the head coach because I was good at coaching offense. And then I get to the head coach and go, eh, 
I don't want to do what I was so good at and got here. I'd rather just manage the whole team. And I, I just don't always look at that as a recipe for success as well. It's odd that you see that happen because usually the coach who has the offensive or defensive background, yeah. whatever it may be, remains heavily involved right. in the thing that got him there. He still finds a way to put the time in because that's what's responsible for his ability to become a head coach in the first place. And there's a certain amount of, it's not really ego. I don't know what it is. It's just like, look, I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm doing and I'm yeah, going to be involved. Exactly. That's just right. the way it is. This right. is what I do. This is my specialty. I can do both. I can be involved. And we see it. Whether you call the plays or not, you're still involved in it. And that's what hurt Sirianni this year with Shane Steichen leaving to be the head coach of the Colts. It exposed Sirianni to a certain extent. Yeah. Sirianni and Brian Johnson without Shane Steichen was a far less than offense than it was the year before. And that's part of why I think Sirianni has had that feeling that we've noticed where he's just kind of on the ropes and hostage video press conferences right. and it creates a sense that he has no confidence. So we have no confidence and no one has confidence. And that's why the surprise that there wasn't even much of a conversation about moving on to a new coach. I think, I think that's why we all were kind of like, Oh, really? After all that, we know he, we know three years of the playoffs. We know, we know, we know, but man, something he hits like he's lost it and he can't get it back. And maybe he'll get it back maybe with the right offensive coordinator. So we'll continue to track who they interview and who ultimately becomes the coordinator and what Jalen Hurts thinks about it, if we even get the chance to find out. I mentioned Cliff Kingsbury interviewed in Chicago for the Bears' offensive coordinator job. That has gone to Shane Waldron. Waldron, right. He is the new OC of the Chicago Bears. Comes from Seattle, where he was the offensive coordinator. They've changed out coaching staffs there. They're looking for a new head coach. So Waldron becomes the OC in Chicago. And I assume that through the process, he was told or at least has been told since he was hired, what the plan is for Justin Fields versus first pick in the draft. Do we take Caleb Williams? Do we end up taking Drake May instead? Do we take a quarterback? Do we trade that pick? Do we stick with Justin Fields? And whatever it is, Shane Waldron's going to be the one drawing it up because the head coach there is a defensive guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, a little like, I'm not going to lie, like a little surprised in the fact that you know, it's really – Shane Waldron, in a lot of ways, rooted in a similar offense to what Luke Getze was, you know, running in Chicago anyways. So I am a little surprised by that. I will. I don't think it's all that different of an approach as far as the coaching style on the offensive side of the ball. And as you know, I kind of thought in a lot of ways, Luke Getze was doing a lot of good things, and I like that offense there, right? But Shane Waldron... Okay, well, we know, you know, Sean McVay, school of coaching, all that. It's had some success the last few years, certainly, and, and has some creative ideas in the past game and all that. Uh, didn't have an O-line to work with in Seattle the last two years, and, of course, now he will in Chicago with running the football. But, man, I mean, that's the million-dollar question right now. It really is. And, and what are they going to do with this number one pick? I feel like with the coordinator change and now the hiring of Shane Waldron and all that – it leads me to believe that they're going to trade, I mean, uh, draft a quarterback. That, if you just made me like spidey senses right now and had to read the room by the moves that are being made, right? I just feel like, hey, wait, there was progress made with Justin Fields. If we were, hey, we like where we are and we're going this way, they would have kept things the same. 
But obviously there was enough there where they didn't like it. And the fact that they're changing OCs and we haven't heard a definitive statement on keeping Justin Fields yet, I don't know, continues to lead me down the path that they're going to make a change there at the quarterback position. Yeah, I, you and I have talked about this before. I, I think they should make it work with Justin Fields. I do too. I think it adds extra pressure to whoever that quarterback is because he's going to be compared apples to apples to Fields wherever he lands, and he'll land somewhere as the starter. I mean, they have a draft asset or a trade asset, excuse me, in either Fields or that first overall pick. They're going to get more for the first overall pick. And you just have a greater sense of uncertainty. The first overall pick is going to come in and get it done. Look at 2023. Look at Bryce Young. There's no guarantee that you're going to plug and play a great quarterback. Even if you think the quarterback is going to be great, the bottom line is that we don't know and we won't know until he plays in the NFL. And with Fields, we still don't know where his ceiling is. I feel like we're still in the process three years in of figuring out how great he can be. And there's a chance he could still be pretty damn great. And again, again, your new quarterback is going to be compared to Fields. Wherever he goes, whatever he does. And if he doesn't measure up to Fields, you're going to, you know, Bears fans are going to say you should have kept Fields. Even if they were on board, even if they were all in with drafting a quarterback, they're going to say, man, you guys should have kept Justin Fields. You should know better than we do. You should have ignored us and you should have kept Fields. Well, there seems to be a, a thought around the league, right? And just like, again, this is not right from, uh, uh, you know, word of mouth from anybody in Chicago. But uh, as you know, I talk and text to a lot of people. That kind of seemed to feel that, like, the last game, the last game against the Packers, the way Fields played right there up in Green Bay, and and it was probably the worst performance their offense and he had over the last five to six weeks of the season, that that was a little bit of like, oh, that's what he is. You know, some people I trust around the league who kind of always have their ear to the ground and knows kind of what's going on. You know, that was kind of the the thought that I've heard multiple times from different people, right? Hey, it was all good, but that last game kind of reconfirmed maybe what he is there. I don't know if that's fair uh, necessarily, but that's the thought around football and maybe why they, they decide to go a different direction here instead of Justin Fields. It'll be interesting to see what kind of a market there is if they trade him, if they decide to move on, how many teams they can bring to the party. As they basically say, what are you going to give us? Now, Fields is going to be part of that, too. Even if you don't have a no-trade clause in your contract, and he doesn't, he's still under his rookie deal. If if he makes it clear, boy, I'm glad you're interested in me, but I don't want to play for your team, all of a sudden that team isn't going to give up significant assets to get Justin Fields because one of your first orders of business, are you picking up the fifth-year option? Are you signing him to a long-term contract? What are you doing with Justin Fields? How are you handling this? But there will be teams. The teams I rattled off earlier. Exactly right. For Jalen Hurts. Exactly right. Are the same teams that could, should be interested. Falcons, Patriots, Steelers, Raiders, Vikings if they lose, Kirk Cousins. So Yeah, I think you said Atlanta would make uh, a lot of sense with the way their team's belt, Bijan Robinson, that offensive line. Right. There's some similarities really to kind of what he had in Chicago there. Uh, and they're they're in a spot where because they were competitive, they're kind of in no man's land as far as getting one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, if it is if it is to go that way and the Bears decide to move on and go to a Caleb Williams or a Drake May or whoever it may be, right, uh, Atlanta would be a team that I certainly would look at and go, ooh, they're going to be in this Justin Fields sweepstakes for sure. And finally, the news from last night, the Raiders announcing that 
Tom Telesco, Whoa. 11 years as the general manager of the Chargers, the new GM of the Raiders. And oh, Champ Kelly, like the signs were pointing to him getting the job. He was sitting in on the interviews for the head coaching candidates. And Champ Kelly was a candidate to go from interim to permanent, yeah. just like Antonio Pierce went Shock. from interim to permanent. But the Raiders make the decision to bring in Tom Telesco, who was fired after that debacle of a Thursday night game where the Chargers were blown out, sir, by the Raiders. Telesco gets fired the next day, which was a surprise because it wasn't his fault. The team didn't seem to give a crap that night and just got steamrolled. But the idea was the Chargers wanted to clear it out and have the ability to go any direction they want. No impediments, no restrictions. We're going to start from scratch. We may hire a coach who runs everything or a coach who has the GM under him or they're equal partners or whatever the case may be. We can do whatever we want. That's why Telesco went along with Brandon Staley. How soon we forget. Brandon Staley had to pause for a half second and remember. But uh, Telesco lands on his feet Yeah, as the GM of the Raiders, arch rivals of the Chargers, holy roller indeed. I kind of like that aspect of it. And uh, now Telesco partners up with Antonio Pierce, and we see what the Raiders can become. Yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, uh, I'm sure Mark Davis knows him a little bit throughout the years, being on the field pregame, seeing Tom Telesco out there, whatever else, AFC West rival twice a year, right? I saw Mark Davis made a quote, right, where he didn't feel comfortable with a first-time head coach and a first-time GM I guess that's what led him away from Champ Kelly, who I think the world of. I've been around Champ a little bit. He's a great football mind. I'm surprised he didn't get the job. I was shocked, right? But I, you know, from that standpoint of what Mark Davis is talking about, I understand it. But this is where it's monumental to me. This is where it's just crazy, right? I mean, listen, we, GMs don't get second jobs. This doesn't happen. Like, it's rare. We don't see it anymore. I mean, there's GMs out there that went to the Super Bowl multiple times or in NFC Championship games. I mean, I think of, uh, damn, I'm blanking on his name, the old GM. Thomas Dimitrov. Yeah, right. I think of him, right? He can't even get a damn job of snip anymore. He's like, damn, I only built like a team that was competitive for like 12 years (laughs) in a row. But what? Tom Telesco, who went to the playoffs once and had a losing record, right? And had holes in his team. Did some good things. I certainly don't want to say that. But also, I don't think any of us ever looked at the, the, the Chargers and went, wow, that is just the most perfectly well-built football team I've ever seen. And then what on top of that, I'd want to go, how involved was he in the coaching hiring you know, out there with the Chargers as well? I mean, was, was he you know, not, not involved in that? Because I would think that would be part of like, hey, wait, why did you hire that guy and, and the guy before him and the guy before him? So that's to me where it's shocking. Usually the GM that gets the second job is a guy that – Knocked it out of the park forever. And everybody's like, he's one of the best GMs in football. There's no doubt about it. To see a guy with a, yeah, a losing record, not part of exactly an NFL powerhouse over the last decade to get a second shot, that in the NFL world is a shock of all shockers. It really is. That You know what? That's a great point. And I'm ashamed I didn't think of it last night when – we posted the item that Tom Telesco was back. I was so stunned by the fact that yeah, he right? was back. Right. I forgot because I've been at the, I at was the like, front of the line saying, happen. how can these general managers, <laughs> how can these general managers not get second opportunities? Once you're fired, that's it. You're gone. You go find a job in media. You go find uh, some consulting gig. And yeah, Dimitrov was highly successful for the longest time relative to 
the life cycle of other general managers and coaches. There's others he out was there too. Very yeah. viable in right. Atlanta, and others fall into that same category. I got to dust off my old story and update it and say, Tom, whatever it is, Tom Telesco's got the secret ingredient to get a second job right away. Right away. Every once in a while, you see a coach land on his feet right away. You never see a GM, even if a GM gets a second job. He doesn't get it right away. No, definitely. He doesn't. Boom. Get fired by one team and land with another team as the general manager. Um, So that 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 one is a surprise. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the hiring of the coaches. I heard over the weekend because on Sunday before our pregame show, I I don't know how many people I talked to or texted. I was trying to get anything I could that was new and there wasn't a whole lot new that was going on. Somebody told me the chart, like the Chargers kind of rushed to hire Brandon Staley a few years ago. And one of the realities is three years ago, even last year, but they were hiring him three years ago. You could have in-person interviews with coaches under contract with other teams right away. Now it can't happen until after the divisional round. It slowed everything down. Arthur Smith, for example, hired by the Falcons, January 15 of 2021 it's january 24 and we have no idea who the falcons are going to hire as their head coach because they couldn't have in-person interviews with coaches from other teams until monday my point is this the chargers moved fast to hire staley i hadn't heard this or if i did i'd forgotten that one of the reasons they hired him if he got out of the building the eagles were going to hire him Mm. and i maybe i remember that maybe i don't but i don't that's one of the reasons why the chargers moved as fast as they did they believed if he was out of the building the eagles were going to make him their head coach so it's not because it's kind of like like hey don't crap on us for hiring brandon staley he was a hot candidate that cycle there were multiple teams that wanted and i I do remember that right i do remember that but i wasn't aware that there was a belief that if he left the chargers he was going to be hired by the eagles immediately instead of nick sirianni yeah i'm with you there mike i i don't remember that either i i don't remember hearing that at the time i'm usually pretty good with that i don't doubt it you know we brandon staley I, I i do think yeah we we can be critical or whatever but he was a hot candidate when he was you know uh, out there and, and looking at as looking being looked at as you know one of the young great defensive coordinators in football and the next guy to be a head coach he was he was very popular around the league. By the way, yeah. By the way, yeah. Pete told me to take a break, but I thought of this Screw because Pete. we just mentioned things we didn't know about. Yeah. Did you know the 49ers wanted to sign Tom Brady? For 2023 well did I, you know kyle was going to try that kyle wanted him instead of brock purdy even you're a healthy you're, brock you're purdy. breaching we, friend on friend contract laws here okay all right, all right. no 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 i I'll, thought he didn't tell I'll you anything that. i'll say I'll i thought he didn't tell you anything i i'll i i do know this right i do know this a hundred percent tom brady when the year was over was still keeping lines of communication available with would-be suitors right it, was, it it took a little while for him to finally close the door and go, okay, all right, I, I know I said I retired, and, and now I really mean it, I retired. I do know that. I do. And that goes beyond the 49ers, right? He he didn't retire, lose the you know lose that playoff game with the Bucks, and then just go, I'm done, and go off radar. He kept some contact going a little bit just in case he wanted to jump back in, and I think he flirted with you know a few teams in the NFL. But but this is relevant because and you weren't on the show yesterday. Yeah, no, I I know, it. right. Brock Purdy himself yeah. said last week, right. Nick Wagner, VSPan.com, and they buried it at the bottom of this long ass article. That's and crazy. They never showcased it. They never right. highlighted. It, they never made a big deal about it. Purdy said that Kyle said to him, 
We're going to try to get Tom Brady. Well, Kyle, like and you've always heard me him, say. If we get him, he's the starter. You've always heard me say, Kyle is as honest as it comes as far as a head coach. He's not going to lean his players down some path of you know disbelief or dishonesty or anything like that. And you know, I think back to something you've said many a times throughout the last few years. I think the fact that he turned down Brady and that didn't happen the first time around when Brady ended up going to Tampa Bay – I think that probably ate at him a little bit. And I think Brady being out there, yeah, might have been the only guy out there that he was like, hey, Brock, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. But it's the GOAT, and if he comes back and he wants to play here, we you're going to be the backup, okay? You'll have to deal with that. And and I you know, appreciate Shanahan's honesty that way, and I certainly can understand that logic. All right, we're going to take a break. A full hour almost, almost on a day when it was like, boy, there really isn't anything big. We found a way to fill a full hour on this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. When we return, Mike Evans' future with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is uncertain. Can we say the same about Stephon Diggs with the Bills? We'll discuss that next year on PFT Live. 